Hi, everyone. Welcome to Everyday Explorers. Thank you so much for pressing play on our very first episode. My name is Jessica, and I will be your host of this podcast. I am a wildlife educator and a zookeeper, and I obviously have a passion for wildlife, conservation, and sustainability, which are the main topics that this podcast is going to cover. So a few housekeeping things before we dive into our very first episode, um, which are is kind of just the layout of what we're going to do. Like I said, we're talking about wildlife, conservation, sustainability. But what I am really excited about is not only do we give you uh, facts about whatever the topic is, but for that episode, but at the end of every episode, we give you an activity that you can do with your family, with your friends, by yourself. Um, if you're a kid, you do that with your parents after you get their permission. Um, and every activity will bring you closer to whatever topic we covered during that episode. So it's kind of a way to experience it, not just hear about it. Also, for every episode, we fundraise for an organization um, or charity that has to do with the topic of that episode. So if you're interested in donating or being a part of donating, um, visit our Patreon. We do have a Patreon, Everyday Explorers, and um, there are different tiers depending on how much you want to donate, but the base tier is 25 cents per episode will be donated um, to the charity related to that episode. So we are so excited to be doing that. um, And we're excited that you are going to be joining us on this adventure. So thank you so much again for pressing play, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, without further ado, here is our very, very first episode of Everyday Explorers. Enjoy! Okay, explorers, today we are becoming OGs. Bear with me, you guys. This word is so hard, and I looked up how to say it, and now that I'm about to say it on a recording, I'm nervous um, because it is a difficult word. But today we're becoming chiropterologists. I hope I said that right. Um, Basically, what that means is that we're exploring bats. When people think of bats, the first thing that usually comes to mind is something spooky, like Halloween, vampires, Dracula, but bats really aren't spooky at all. In fact, they're pretty interesting and intelligent. These winged mammals are the only mammals, mammals, I don't know why I keep saying that, mammals capable of true flight. They're the only mammals capable of true flight. That means that they're the only mammals that flap their wings and fly through the night sky. So if you've ever seen like a flying squirrel or a sugar glider, those mammals can glide. They open their arms and legs and they have extra skin called patagium that is able to catch wind and glide through the air. But that's a whole other episode, so forget I said that. Instead, bats have wings like a bird and they're able to flap them and fly through the air. But of course, they're not a bird. They are warm-blooded and have fur. They're mammals like you and I but they do have wings that allow them to fly. And like we said, through the night sky, they're nocturnal, which means that they'll be awake during the nighttime looking for food. And during the day, when we're awake, they're going to be sleeping in a cave or somewhere nice and dark where they can stay safe. Now, speaking of wings, take a look at your hand. Believe it or not, a bat's wing is made up of the same way our hands are made up. 
They have the same bones that we do. It's kind of like a four-fingered hand that they have. They have the same bone structure as us. But a strong membrane covers these bones, and that's what makes up their wings. The membrane is thin but strong, allowing them to be able to flap those wings and carry them for long distances. There are around 951 species of bat that live all over the world. The only places we don't find bats are really, really dry, arid deserts and very cold regions like um, Antarctica, of course. In order to characterize these bats even further, they have been divided into two groups. And we're going to say that very fancy word again. And actually, let's see if we can listen to uh, a robot say it because we know that they say it right. Let's listen. Chiroptera. Chiroptera. So we are going to be talking about the two groups that they're categorized in. They are categorized as either megachiroptera or microchiroptera. And right after this break, right after the short break, I should say, we'll be right back to explain what those two very fancy words mean. Okay, guys, welcome back. So right before we ended, we were talking about megachiroptera and microchiroptera. And I'm going to start saying megabats and microbats because it's way easier for me to say. So, the well, I guess we'll say chiroptera one more time. The reason that we keep saying this word is because chiroptera is the order that bats belong to, and it literally means hand wing. So remember earlier when we said to look at your hand? That's because their hand is like ours, and of course they have a wing. They're the only flying mammal, as we said. Now, bats belonging to uh, the megabat family are medium to large in size. Ever heard the phrase blind as a bat? That doesn't really apply to these guys. They have big eyes and excellent eyesight. They usually eat nectar, pollen, or even small animals or fish. And the largest of all bats, of course, is a megabat, is a type of megabat, I should say, and it's known as a flying fox. They can weigh over three pounds and have wingspans of six feet. That's as tall as a human. They're huge. Microbats, or bats belonging to microchiroptera, there's that word again, are small bats. The smallest microbat, which means it's the smallest bat in the world, is the kitty's hognose bat, and it weighs less than a penny. That's way different, complete opposite than that flying fox we just talked about, who weighs in at over three pounds. Microbats eat mostly insects and rely on echolocation to find food allowing them to find prey even in complete darkness. We could do probably a whole 20-minute episode on echolocation. It's pretty complex, but for now, we'll just give you these small bullet points. Echolocation allows a bat to observe their environment with the use of sound. It'll help them find food, to navigate their environment, or even to alert them of danger coming their way. What happens is bats will emit a high-frequency sound And when they do that, they have extra muscles in their ears that will contract and relax when they do this very high frequency sound. That way it doesn't hurt their ears. And then once they have fully emitted that sound, they'll open those ears back up and they'll wait for the echo to come back to them. Once it does, it'll allow them to tell where objects are in relation to themselves. 
This can allow them to help them kind of see where things are by interpreting the incoming signal. They're able to distinguish the difference between a tree, your head, or even a juicy mosquito in the air. So like we said, bats are not blind, but they do have better vision in the nighttime than they do during the day. They do see in black and white and shades of gray. So remember, micro bats are going to be using complex echolocation to find insects to prey on. While fruit bats do have great eyesight, they have echolocation too, but they're going to use mostly their eyesight to help them find the fruit that they're going to eat or the pollen or the nectar. Now, speaking of all the things they eat, like we said, um, some bats, micro bats, will eat insects. So about 70% of all bats eat insects, flies, mosquitoes, beetles, cockroaches, there's a huge colony of bats in Texas that can eat around 500,000 pounds of mosquitoes every single night. That is a lot of mosquitoes. Nectar-eating bats are pollinators. So those bats have a job to do in that when they are flying from one flower to the next, eating the nectar, some of the pollen will get on the little hairs on their body. And when they go to the next flower, they'll transfer that pollen, allowing new flowers to grow. Fruit-eating bats, of course, when they eat the fruit, they don't eat the seed. They don't eat the stuff that their little belly can't digest. So they'll spit out the seed. And when they do that, they actually become a seed disperser. So they will literally disperse seeds throughout the rainforest. And that actually has given them or earned them the name, the farmers of the tropics. It's important that they do this behavior because it helps new plants to grow. A lot of oxygen comes from rainforests so and the plants in the rainforest. So it's really important that we continue to plant new plants out there, which these bats help us do. Okay, way back in the beginning of this episode, we did say that bats aren't really like Dracula, not like vampires sucking blood. But there are three species of bat that do eat blood. But we don't have to be afraid. They're not coming for humans. And even when they do eat blood, they're not actually sucking it like a vampire. Instead, they make small cuts on whatever animal they're trying to eat the blood of, usually a cow or a bird. And then they lick up the blood. So they're not dangerous vampire blood-sucking bats, but they do rely on blood for energy. And so usually, if they're eating blood from a cow, they're not going to drink all of the blood from a cow. They're just going to be more annoying to the cow because they do make a little incision and then lick up the blood. But that cow will still live. There's no way those little bats could drink all of a cow's blood. So no matter microbat or megabat, all bats have important jobs to do in our ecosystems. Like we said, they could be population control of pesky insects. They can be pollinators helping flowers grow or seed dispersers helping other plants grow. Luckily for us, us uh, there are organizations like Bat Conservation International. So way back in the beginning of the episode, we said that we are going to be donating um, Patreon uh, funds from this episode to an organization, and that organization is Bat Conservation International. Again, if you'd like to be part of donating, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash everyday experts, everyday, everyday explorers, I should say, and um, you can sign up for a tier. Each tier has a different donation that is submitted which, with each tier, um, and like we said, that will be going to BatCon International. The mission of Bat Conservation International is to conserve the world's bats and their ecosystems to ensure a healthy planet. 
So they have so many different things that they do. Their website is so extensive. It's huge. But I just want to tell you a few things that are very important um, that they do and so that you'll know what you'll be donating to. So Bat Conservation International helps to identify, prioritize, and begin conserving the world's uh, significant bat areas. They respond strategically to broad, irreversible threats that impact bats at multiple locations around the world. And they educate communities and the public um, on the importance of bats and raise their profile as an order of mammals worthy of concerted attention and action. And I think those are three excellent reasons um, to donate to Bat Conservation International. If you want to learn more about what they do, visit batcon.org. That's B-A-T-C-O-N dot O-R-G to see, again, they have an extensive amount of things that they're doing. So be sure to check it out regardless. Okay, guys, that brings us to our challenge or activity portion of our show. Like we said, we are giving you guys um, a challenge or an activity to do with your family, with your friends, um, so that you can become more acquainted with the topic that we're covering. And today we're covering bats. So today your challenge is to install a bat box. Bat boxes are little houses that you can make, um, maybe if you've heard of an owl box, or almost like a bird house, uh, but for bats. And you can put them in your backyard, in the trees, and it gives the bats a place, a safe place to live. So it's important to have a bat box in your backyard because, one, it allows you to, from a distance, watch wildlife uh, interact with their environment, which is so cool. But also, if you have a lot of insects in your backyard, we already said that these little micro bats are going to help you to get rid of the mosquitoes that might be in your backyard. So they can be really good for that, too. Bat boxes are kind of hard to make, though, so this is kind of a hard challenge to start off with, and I realize that, but I think you guys can do it. I have faith in our explorers. So uh, I am going to put a link in the show notes to instructions on how to build a bat box. Again, that information is going to be provided by BatCon International. Um, so you can just click on it again, or if you want to just go to it, batcon.org, and they have the whole thing for bat houses. There are some that are more complex than others too, so you can choose what type of bat box you would like to make. If making a bat box is too difficult, but you still want one, you can also just buy them pre-made. That's totally fine too. If any of that is too expensive or way too much work, which I totally get, the other challenge you can accept is just go to the website that we keep saying, again, batcon.org, and just acquaint yourself with that organization because they are so great and they're doing so many great things and bats are so important in our world and ecosystem. All right, guys. Well, with that being said, we did it. We made it. We made it through our very first episode of Everyday Explorers. Thank you so much for exploring bats with us this week. And be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, share everything about our podcast. Um, and we'll be back next Tuesday. Episodes are launched every single Tuesday. Um, and so we'll be back next Tuesday with a new topic to explore. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next week. We got information for this episode episode one bats from the San Diego Zoo and also from Bat Conservation International.